The Burroughs of Berea is a conversational podcast. We study the Bible and we talk about it. Not all of us are of the same faith, and one of us doesn't actually have a faith. And that's wonderful. We all love one another, and we're going to continue to talk about these things. The things we believe in and the things we believe about what we read in the Bible. Not all of these are necessarily true. Some of it is opinion and speculation. Thank you for listening and speculating with us. There you go. That was good. Yes. <laughs> you are listening to the Burroughs of Berea. Holiday edition. Holla! Welcome back to the Burroughs of Berea. I am Rick Welch, and to my left is Billy I Candy Kimsey. So sweet, rot false teeth, baby. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> you've, been, you've been doing homework yeah, after yeah, all. Just, yeah, I, I, I can't just sit here and be quiet. That, he's eye candy the People that wear have false teeth. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> whatever. Okay. <laughs> so. Get out your poly grip. <laughs> and then uh, Ralph Hicks from Represent. Straight Out of Compton. Behind the glass, Rocket Man Andy Bishop. Cool. I, that one came out weird. <laughs> Try it again. <laughs> All right. Uh, Jerry the Annihilator Lewis. That's me. Oh, <laughs> oh, the mouse is you gone. like Cookie Monster voice. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. And today is a special holiday edition. So I got my wife, Holly, here. Hello, Holly. Hi. Hi. I just had a puberty moment with my voice. Please excuse <laughs> that's, me. That's, I, feel like, I feel like I'm having those same moments right now. <laughs> Jerry's having the exact opposite of that. That's if right, I, baby. If, if, would you guest vocal in like a death metal thing? I think. <laughs> yeah, please. Might be fun. Yeah. Uh, do do uh, death metal bands have backup singers that do that? I mean, it's not uncommon to like stack vocals to get a particular effect. Yeah. yeah I want to so know who the backup depends on what you mean was by backup. for corn. When I get paid, that's the world. Mostly Jonathan Davis for the record. Uh, maybe one of the other band members, though. I'm not actually sure. That's a legit. You think that's a funny question, but it's a real question. It really is, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, it's a real question. Yeah. Who, which I actually loved Corn back in the day. I loved that. Band. Oh, they were. Oh, I remember yeah. when they came out. I yeah, bought that they were album ahead of the straight curve. away. I was yeah. in the grocery store working. I heard it and on the radio. And well, we had one of those CD machines at the grocery store. And I put my money in and I bought the album right there. Oh, wow. Well, um, I heard that Eric Clapton and Jonathan Davis were doing like this thing together. Are you serious? Yeah, it's called Creamed Corn. Oh, uh, oh my. Corn. Oh, you were caught me. How did I even think? Would that be hard to digest? Gross, <laughs> <laughs> man. Yes. How, how did I fall for that for even a second? I'm so ashamed. Isn't that great? Well, since we're on the laughter part, I've got it. I've got this excellent joke. Oh, I love it. Okay. Dang it. You try to bring her back down. We see how it is. <laughs> right, right, yeah, no yeah. more fun. We're yeah, enough of that. Air out of the balloon. So, so these two women die and they go to heaven and they're standing in front of the pearly gates. And here comes who? Larry, the fifteenth apostle. <laughs> And he looks at the ladies and said, ladies, congratulations. You believed on the Lord Jesus, so therefore you get to enter into heaven. And they're so excited. He says, however, I must tell you that we do have a rule, okay, for, these, for, for you ladies. These are single ladies, right? She's got a rule. There's an abnormally large amount of ducks in heaven. And uh, we just want you to know that you can't stand or step on one. Okay, so be real careful. <laughs> and they look at each other like, like, I've never stepped on a duck my whole life, you know? And so they're like, okay, thanks, Larry, you know? And so they go on into heaven. And it's literally 97 seconds. And the first single lady, do your, do your voice, <laughs> steps on a duck. Next thing you know, here comes Larry. And he's got this, the ugliest 
most hideous dude. It was probably the guy at the end of the line in my last joke, you know? <laughs> and he takes this chain and wraps it around her neck and says, now be on your way. So the other girlfriend's sitting there like, oh my gosh, like, I am definitely not going to step on a duck. So she goes for like three weeks and she's like, oh my gosh, there's so many ducks in heaven. Like, I don't get it. And then all of a sudden, Larry, the 15th apostle comes walking up. She's got this gorgeous man and chains her up and says, be on your way. And she's like, I can't believe it. She, she looks at him. She's like, I have no idea what I've done to deserve this. And he said, I don't know. All I did was step on a duck. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Enough of that. Yeah. So, but I'm Yeah. So anyway, so today is a special <laughs> holiday edition. And it's not an American holiday, or oh, I'm sure it is for some Americans who happen to be Jewish. I have never celebrated this holiday, but I've learned about it. Because we're about to do a study on the book of Esther. And at the end of Esther, they, there is a, uh, like a feast, right? I believe it is, right, Ralph? It's a feast or it's a festival, however you want to look at it. But it's called Purim. And it is something that the Jewish people have celebrated pretty much since about 4, what, 70 BC? They've been celebrating it this long. And so, the... I, w- I was going to do St. Patty's Day. We'll have to wait. We'll get hammered drunk next year and do what that are the, Yeah, I'd like to know what the religious tie-in is for St. Patty's Day. There is I guess he's a saint, though, right? He is a, a saint. He's a saint. All right. Yeah, he's a Asked saint. and answered. He was murdered. Yep, he was murdered. All right. I'm and sorry. So we'll talk about that next year. He's the saint of beer. The saint of beer. <laughs> yeah, saint of beer. It's a, it's a ginger beer, but hey, it's in a green Hey, there's even a bottle. song. In a beer in a tree. Yeah, that's right. The Christmas one. So... I've asked Ralph if he would give us a little bit of history on this. So this is a Jewish holiday. It is called Purim. And so, Ralph, can you tell us a little bit about it? Well, sure. This, uh, this, as you said, this took place in the 5th century B.C. Uh, uh, the, English, the English Feast of Lots. Uh, Purim means lots, you know, casting lots. Yes. Uh, Haman uh, was the chief minister of the, of the king, and uh, he thought he was something else. And he wanted everyone to bow to him. And so the king says, everyone has to bow to him. Mordecai decided he wasn't going to do that. So he decided, uh, Haman decided he was going to kill Mordecai and all of the Jews. Well, a little bit before that, the king uh, asked his wife uh, to reveal herself to all his friends. And she said no. So he wanted a new wife and picked a new wife, which was Esther. And she was the cousin of Mordecai. In some places, they say uh, she may have been his hus- his wife, mm-hmm. uh, because um, they were allowed to uncles were allowed to marry nieces back then. Mm-hmm. You can in Kentucky too. That's brothers and sisters. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you're gonna cut that part. You may be, you may be my uncle, but you're still my daddy. <laughs> Uncle Dad. <laughs> I, I can see I'm going to have to apologize again. Yeah, here we go. <laughs> uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's some people that believe that it happened. There's some people that don't believe it happened. A uh, historical reality of this biblical episode has often been questioned. The actual origins of the Purim Festival, which has already been long established by the 2nd century, uh, remain unknown. The ritual observance of Purim begins with a day of fasting, uh, Ta'anit Esther. 
uh, Fast of Esther on Adar 13, the day preceding the actual holiday. 14th is the holiday. They also, uh, the only ones that uh, still celebrate on the 15th are in Jerusalem and another uh, sect mm-hmm. uh, that celebrates because there still was some killing uh, on the on the 15th. Uh, there was an edict that went out uh, from the king saying that you know they could kill the Jews. And Mordecai built a scaffold to, or or Haman built a scaffold to kill Mordecai, and then Haman was killed upon it. Right. Uh, And so there's a couple of different stories that go about how that happened. And so here's a completely random thing: Why is fasting so common in these sorts of things? Is that is that Jewish, or is that just kind of like old religion in general? I mean, there's man, fasting is a big part of a lot of like old religious things. I I can only tell you what I think I know about it. Like I, don't, I haven't really studied it out, but from from the time, like from the biblical perspective, fasting is denying yourself food mm-hmm. or food and water. In this case, it was food and water for three days, and so denying your body things um, is basically saying I'm going to empty myself. I'm not going to allow myself to receive any nourishment or whatever, and I'm going to pray to God in on behalf for something. And I've done this before. I've I've actually done it and had amazing results. But I mean, I'm not saying, hey, go out and fast and get what you want, but it happened. Like I, I actually, you know, did that. But it, it seems to be something that it I it's cross-cultural. It's not just Hebrew. It's not just Christian. I think it's not they, just religious either. Yeah. I mean, but but fasting, yeah, you can certainly well, I mean, fast for my diet, question but, is about the religious it's relationship side. to religion because it's a thing, you know. Yeah. A lot of times they fasted just to get someone else's attention, saying, "Hey, there's something going on over here. I'm going to fast." Yeah, that makes sense too. There yeah. is a power to it. I know that I, I had said in my, you know, in my experience that I had this like freeing moment in my mind. I, I had so much clarity, and I was able to pray more fervently and more direct on what I was looking for, and. You know, in in the scriptures, like in the New Testament, of course, Jesus fasted for 40 days in the desert, you know, and then was tempted, you know, turn this rock into bread. And But then also there was a time whenever the disciples are trying to cast a demon out of a little boy and they can't. And then when Jesus comes down from the Mount of Transfiguration, he says, bring the boy to me. And then after he casts this demon out, he tells the disciples, there are some demons that you can't defeat without fasting and prayer. And so fasting sort of has something to do with the power of God, but also like it's getting his ear to incline your way a little bit more sincere, I guess. That's my guess here. Well, something else about Purim, uh, the, the festival of lots, it's a Jewish holiday, which commemorates the saving of the Jewish people from Haman and uh, Achaemenid Persian empire officials. So they were saved by the Persians who was planning to kill all the Jews um, as recounted in the book of Eps, um, Esther. Haman was the royal vizier of King Xerxes uh, of Persia. His plans were foiled by Mordecai and Esther, uh, his cousin and uh, adopted daughter who became the queen of Persia. Uh, the day of deliverance became a day of feasting and rejoicing. Uh, according to the scroll of Esther, they should make them days of feasting and gladness and of sending portions one to another and gifts to the poor. Uh, there was exchanges, uh, exchanging of gifts and food and drink, uh, known as misloch mano, uh, donating charity to the poor, uh, eating a celebratory meal, uh, public recitation of the Megillah, uh, of the scroll of Esther, 
and then reciting uh, additions to the daily prayers. And then they would have plays where they, every time they said uh, uh, his name, uh, they would boo and hiss. Uh, you know, uh, for Haman. So like for the Haman. Rocky Horror yeah. Picture Show, but yeah, exactly, yeah, <laughs> different, but Jewish, but Jewish. <laughs> Let's have a toast, <laughs> right? Uh, so, like I said, that um, there are some things that say that this uh, happened, and some that say that it didn't happen. Uh, one of the more interesting things that I saw that I thought was interesting was uh, they say that you have to drink a lot, <laughs> yeah, and you're supposed to drink until you can't. Uh, what is a uh, you can't tell the difference between, uh, you know, gay for Esther and boo on Haman, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which is cruel. And then they also had hamantaschen, which is the Haman's pocket or Haman's ears that you were that you eat. Oh, cool. So, and actually in the book of Esther, it was from the decree. It said that, because um, they weren't supposed to allow themselves to get, you know, super hammered, but they allowed it on that day. They allowed them to get... To have a great time because a lot of things happen, you know, in their favor. And you got to understand, this was a genocide decree. They were going to kill. This was the largest empire of its time. Of its time, it was bigger than. Well, I'll let Holly get into that later. But they they definitely have, um, you know, a tremendous empire, and all of the Jews that are in it are going to be murdered. All of them, men, women, children, all of them. And whenever a decree goes out by the king, uh, it doesn't get reversed. In their law, it has to be, you know. So he had to have a new decree. So a new decree. And the new decree was that the Jews could fight back. That's right. And that was it. Like, okay, these guys are coming after you, but you're allowed to fight back. So they killed 7,500 the first two days and a couple of hundred the the last day. Yeah. And the the four main mitzvot mitzvot, uh, obligations of the day are listening to the public reading, uh, usually in the synagogue. That's the book of Esther. Uh, sending food and gifts to friends, giving charity to the poor, and then eat of a, eating a festive meal and or um, lots of drink. Mm. And it's done. Uh, it's celebrated different place, uh, different ways uh, throughout the world and different sects. Um, so, now, did you see anything like all of the stuff that I saw when I was looking online? It looks like Halloween for Jews. <laughs> Similar, yes, in that they dress up, but they don't dress up in costumes like we do for Halloween. They right. dress up in religious costumes. Which is and, basically the characters uh, and, from Esther, right? And then, correct. And then they have, you know, uh, sort of like at New Year's, uh, you know, when they say Haman's name, they ring these buzzers and blow these horns and shout, you boo, hiss on Haman. Yeah. So it's a compilation of a few different feasts. Can you imagine, like... <laughs> That's, that sounds kind of fun. The bad guy, you boo him forever. Like <laughs> the forever boo, you know? That's crazy. I hadn't, I hadn't Once heard a year, that we part. get together yeah. and talk about how much this guy sucked. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's not a common Bible name. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. No, it's not. Hey, man. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, that's, for, that's interesting. And so, per M, which is basically it's the Feast of Lots. So... The uh, the new Esther series that we're kicking off, um, I've titled it "A Lot Can Change a Lot." <laughs> That's good, actually. That's good. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's clever. So, uh, Holly, you did a little bit of research. I want to get a little an idea about the setting, um, like where where this is around the time that this is. Can you can you share any of that? So this was around 480 BC. Um, they had, there was a massive Persian army that had marched off to face the um, 
Athens and the Greek allies. And there was about a million soldiers, or I guess the numbers kind of um, are contra, like they contradict each other. Um, some says hundreds of thousands. So, um, but the Persian Empire stretched from modern day Libya, which is in Africa, to modern day Pakistan and Asia. And that was the largest empire in history, um, second to the, um, oh my gosh. Um, this, it was the second great empire after the Babylonian Empire. The population at that time was around 50 million people. Um, they conquered the Babylonian and Chaldean empires in 539 BC. And the Persians ruled for about 200 years before they were conquered by the Greeks, which were later conquered by the Romans. Mm-hmm. So this whole group hates Jews pretty much. Right. And so... This time, if you look in your Bible, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, this is all around the same time. Um, when in the book of Daniel, we remember whenever after they were captured and exiled by the Babylonians, then later on um, they are taken over by the Medes. And then you hear of Cyrus. Uh, Cyrus is the grandfather of Xerxes I. When you read it in the scripture, uh, in our scripture, it's Ahasuerus. King Ahasuerus is how they say it, but he is, in fact, Xerxes I, who is the grandson of Cyrus. And Cyrus has this interesting name. In the book of Isaiah, it says that Cyrus was called the Anointed One, which is the same word, it's Messiah, Messiah. So he's the only non-Jewish person that was ever considered a Messiah. And the reason why is because he's the one that released the Jews out of exile to let them go back to build Jerusalem, back and build the temple. Yep, and so Cyrus's son, Darius the first, he was the one that went in to fight with the Greeks, and the Greeks, of course, beat him back, and then he wanted to go back and have vengeance, you know, on Greece, and he never did. He ends up getting murdered, and then his son, uh, Xerxes the first, takes the throne, and then that's what all he wants to do is he wants to go back, and he wants to fight Greece, and... Uh, but the Babylonians are having this little uprising. The Egyptians are having a little uprising, so he's having to squash them out. And then right around this time is whenever he goes into Greece. And that's where, if you've ever heard of the movie 300, you know, this is Sparta. You remember that? And I don't know if you ever watched that movie um, with all those dudes with abs. Yeah I, yeah, I actually did that for Halloween one year, and I painted the abs on my face. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Wow. It was really hideous. <laughs> one big ab. <laughs> yeah. Wow, Rick, your abs are huge. Yeah. <laughs> like, I've never seen abs quite that big. I know. I didn't have a washboard stomach, but I did have a dishbowl stomach, you know? Well, I, I, one it's thing not I a six-pack, it's a keg. Yeah. <laughs> a party ball. One thing I thought was interesting is they, they have these festivals, and they always boo, hiss to forget the name of Haman. I'm like, well, you know, you killed all of his sons. You wiped him out. Yes. He's no longer... I mean, you've already wiped him out. Why... That's right. Still, and, still mad. Yeah. So we, um, I also did a little bit of research. Again, this is just the kickoff. We're not getting really deep into it. Um, I know Cherry's got some stuff on uh, Queen Vashti that she's going to bring up here in a second. And But one thing I did learn is that it says in the book of Esther that Mordecai was a descendant of Kish. And if you guys remember our Halloween episode where King Saul was the son of Kish, right? And so, remember the donkeys? Yep. Okay. So, he's a descendant of Kish. Well, later on, whenever King Saul, when God tells him to wipe out the Amalekites, he doesn't do it. And he spares the life of King Agag. 
and his sons. So whenever Samuel comes in, he realizes, hey, you didn't do what God said. So Samuel takes the sword and hacks King Agag to pieces, Agag to pieces, right? Well, Haman is an Agagite. He's a descendant of King Agag, who should not have been descended because he should have been wiped out according to what God wanted, but it didn't happen. So Agag, or the, the descendant of Agag, Haman, the one thing you can learn about these people in the Middle East, they never forget. <laughs> right. I mean, they've been battling for centuries. Saul over didn't do it, so we're going to take care of it now. <laughs> right. So, Y'all are so done. Mordecai and Haman obviously knew their history, and that's why Mordecai would not bow to Haman, not only because you know of his faith to God, but he wouldn't bow to Haman because of who Haman was. And Haman obviously knew Mordecai, and he knew, you know, he never forgot. And so they had this you know, this terrible rivalry over what had happened five centuries earlier, 500 years, and they still— Be careful when you build the gallows. Make sure he's already been condemned yeah. and the king's on <laughs> vacation and you got control before you build it. Otherwise, you'll be killed upon yeah, it. Exactly. I don't remember what I did two days ago. I could be <laughs> mad about somebody for something that happened 500 years ago. Right, right. So, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read um, a little bit here in these notes uh, that I have. And then I'm actually just going to read the first chapter uh, or two of this book, and then I'll, I'll get you, if you don't mind, Cherry, to, to tell us a little bit about Vashti and the Haggadah. All right, so if you go to Esther. You want to start with the video? Sure. Do you want to play it? I'll just play that one part. Okay, okay sure. Uh, because this is what's going on. Yeah, so this is what's about, you're getting ready to learn about. Here we go. This is John MacArthur. This make, is what's going on at the beginning of Make Esther. sure you put it towards yeah. the front of the mic so they can hear yep. it. Confident that his military forces are going to be triumphant. So, he ends the six-month summit of military planning with a seven-day banquet. Now, look at your Bible and look at Esther chapter 1 and see the extravagant celebration that is held because of the anticipated victory. There were white and blue linen curtains, verse 6, fastened with cords of fine linen and purple on silver rods and marble pillars. The couches were of gold and silver on a mosaic pavement of alabaster, turquoise, and white and black marble. They served drinks in golden vessels, each vessel being different from the other, with royal wine in abundance according to the generosity of the king. This is a seven-day drunken Orgy, if you will, on the seventh day. It was actually a six-month party. It was a six-month, yeah. Well, actually, it was a six-month summit that ended in a seven-day party. A massive seven-day <laughs> drunken orgy. And I never thought that man would say that behind the pulpit. Because she told me, she was like, he did. He said orgy. And I was like, no, he said party. And then she she was wow. like, I told you. I told you. <laughs> so anyway. All right. We had so a good laugh. Yeah, so let's get into this. Uh, we'll start with <laughs> Esther, chapter one. Uh, let me take off my glasses so that I can read. <laughs> now, in the days of Ahasuerus, the the Ahasuerus who reigned from India to Ethiopia over 127 provinces, in those days when King Ahasuerus sat on his royal throne in Susa, the citadel, in the third year of his reign, he gave a feast for all his officials and servants. The army of Persia in Medea and the nobles and governors of the provinces were before him while he showed the riches of his royal glory and the splendor and pomp of his greatness for many days, 180 days. And when these days were completed, the king gave for all the people present in Susa, the citadel, both great and small, a feast lasting for seven days in the court of the garden of the king's palace. There is the orgy. 
There were white cotton curtains and violet hangings fashioned with cords of fine linen and purple to silver rods and marble pillars and also couches of gold and silver on a mosaic pavement of porphyry, marble, mother of pearl, and precious stones. Drinks were served in golden vessels, vessels of different kinds, and the royal wine was lavished according to the bounty of the king. And drinking was according to this edict. There is no compulsion." For the king had given orders to all the staff of his palace to do as each man desired. Queen Vashti also gave a feast for the women in the place that belonged to King Ahasuerus. On the seventh day, when the heart of the king was merry with wine, he commanded Mehuman, Bistha, Harbona, Bigtha, Abagtha, Zetar, and Carcass, the seven eunuchs who served in the presence of King Ahasuerus. Do you know what a eunuch is? Yeah, it's a castrated man. Yes, Abolish, dude. So <clears throat> it says, I'm sorry. Nothing. <laughs> Billy, for the audience, Billy did raise his hand when he said, Abolish, man. <laughs> oh, wow. The seven eunuchs who served in the presence of King Ahasuerus. I can't say it. I would fall on my face if you asked me to read that. Yeah, yeah. I would just say Xerxes. Yeah. <laughs> to bring Queen Vashti before the king with her royal crown in order to show the peoples and the princes her beauty, for she was lovely to look at. But Queen Vashti refused to come at the king's command delivered by the eunuchs. At this, the king became enraged and his anger burned within him. Then the king said to the wise men who knew the times, for this was the king's procedure toward all who were versed in law and judgment, the men next to him being Karshena, Shetar, Admatha, Tarshish, Meriz, Marsena, and Memarkan, the seven princes of, the Persia, of Persia and Medea, who saw the king's face and sat first in the kingdom. According to the law, what is to be done to Queen Vashti, because she has not performed the command of King Ahasuerus, delivered by the eunuchs? Then Memokan said in the presence of the king and the officials, Not only against the king has Queen Vashti done wrong, but also against all the officials and all the peoples who are in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus. For the queen's behavior will be made known to all women, causing them to look at their husbands with contempt, since they will say, King Ahasuerus commanded Queen Vashti to be brought before him, and she did not come. This very day, the noble women of Persia and Medea, who have heard of the queen's behavior, will say the same to all the king's officials, and there will be contempt and wrath and plenty. If it please the king, let a royal order go out from him, and let it be written among the laws of the Persians and the Medes, so that it may not be repealed, that Vashti is never again to come before King Ahasuerus. And let the king give her royal position to another who is better than she. So when the decree made by the king is proclaimed throughout all his kingdom, for it is vast, all women will give honor to their husbands, high and low alike." This advice pleased the king and the princes, and the king did as Memarkan proposed. And Ralph. And Ralph liked it. He sent letters to all <laughs> He sent letters to all the royal provinces, to every province in its own script, and to every people in its own language, that every man be master in his own household and speak according to the language of his people. So it's important to to note, I don't know how many times I said King Ahasuerus. But I believe they said that in this, it's, a, it's said 187 times. And here's the unique thing about that. God is never mentioned in this book. Correct. You never hear him say anything, and he is nor never Nor in the mis- story, nor in Purim. Nor in Purim. Has nothing to do with it. They just said that uh, one of the things that they said about it was 
that people stood up for themselves, and there was godliness in that act. Yes. And something else I heard, uh, and I, I, I saw it a couple of times, where they said they, it may have been a miscommunication to the queen that she come in her crown. And the miscommunication was that she came in only her crown, which is why she did not come. So I don't know how true that is, but I, I read it twice. Well, the king was absolutely, it says that he was merry with wine. So he is hammered. Yeah, 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 he's hammered. He's like, yeah. tell that queen to get up in here and only wear the yeah. <laughs> It's okay because there's only Enoch's in, in here. Okay. <laughs> Eunuchs. Eunuchs. Yeah. The ballless wonders. Yeah. So, you know. Billy and his crew. Yeah. That would definitely foil the orgy if they were all ballless. <laughs> I'm just going to say that. I don't think it was just the eunuchs that were there. I mean, a eunuch orgy? <laughs> That's not fun at all. <laughs> not Jeez. for somebody, that's for sure. <laughs> well, <laughs> you're picturing so, that, aren't you, Rick? Yeah. You know, I Look am. Look at Ralph. Ralph has his hand over there. Well, I mean, it doesn't make any sense. Think about it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they were invited to the orgy. No. No, no, not at no. all. They just let them stand around and watch. I was going to yeah. say, they had to be <laughs> there because they were, they were he servants, told them so it's probably like full of servants just like standing still, <laughs> waiting for someone to say something to them. <laughs> Bring me more wine, ballless wonder. <laughs> so, something that I noticed, and I'm going to let if Cherry's <laughs> so, <laughs> laughing so hard she's covering her mouth. Just laugh, lady. So, um, the one thing that, that was really cool, and I don't know if you guys know this or not, but in the Hebrew language, they do a lot of tricks with their words. And not many people are aware of it because we don't all read Hebrew, so we wouldn't know. So we've been taught our whole life that this is one of the rare books that doesn't have God's name in it. There's only two in the Bible where God's not mentioned, one being Esther and the other being the Song of Solomon, which I'm glad his name's not in there because there's some freaky stuff going yeah. on in that book. But it just so happens that the tetragrammaton or the tetragraph, the Y-H-W-H, okay, which is Hashem or the name of God that was given to Moses, is found in this book in an acrostic form. And it's well known to the Hebrews who read it, to the Jewish people that read it, they know it, but it's not, it wasn't known to very many people. So, scholars have actually broke it down. And I just read chapter one, and the interesting thing in chapter 1, verse 20, it says, let's see, it says, So when the decree made by the king is proclaimed throughout all his kingdom, for it is vast, all women will give honor to their husbands, high and low alike. That this acrostic is backwards. Instead of YHWH, it's HWHY. And any time that the king or the Gentile nation does something, that could actually, you know, affect the Jews, it's backwards. Anytime something happens in favor of the Jews, it's put in as YHWH. It's awesome. It's so cool. And we're going to get into that in this study. I'll show you each place and how it's done. And there was a man by the name of David Pawson, who was a uh, pastor in England, who actually used the word Lord, L-O-R-D, and he kind of created what it would look like in our language, like how we would read it. It's pretty cool, and I'll, be, I'll bring that uh, in a later episode as well. So, Cherry, this thing about Vashti, so there's a lot of debate. Like, why didn't she come? Was she just being a jerk, or were there reasons? What did you find? Did you find anything unusual? 
Well, there was a couple of different reasons I found. Um, overall, of course, it seems like the general reason most people think it is is because that she was asked to present herself in only a crown. Mm-hmm. Um, and she refused. But um, then it went on to say, like, other reasons for why she may not have um, submitted to what he had asked was because she actually was the one that was considered royal blood. She was the um, great-granddaughter of King Nebuchadnezzar II of Babylon and the daughter of King Belshazzar. So she was a Babylonian. Yeah, that's that's what I had read and said— According to one account in the Midrash, Vashti was the daughter of Belshazzar, the king of Babylon. She was just a child the night her father died from a bizarre accident. Um, The palace was in an uproar after the disaster. Young Vashti, not realizing Belshazzar was dead, scurried amongst the traumatized dinner guests in search of her father's comfort. When she mistakenly sat in the lap of Darius, he took pity on the beautiful young girl and betrothed her to her betrothed her to his son. Xerxes. Yes. Or Ahasuerus. Yes. The emperor of Persia. The name we shall not say. Right. <laughs> because we don't want to Because we can't. It. Yeah. <laughs> so, from that standpoint, it went on to say that um, actually the king himself um, had like some underlying issue with her because truly she should have been, she I guess was more royalty than he was. And so, it was a plot against her to get rid of her so that he didn't have her around. One one source that I read said that. So he basically asked of her to do something that he knew that either way, if she showed up, it was shameful. But if she denied coming, then she was denying him. So it was a, it was a win-win situation for him to get rid of her. Mm. So um, Maybe Henry should have thought of something like that. <laughs> Instead of just <laughs> off with her head. Yeah. So... Uh, it also like went into some of her character. Um, it says not all Jewish history and commentary agree that Vashti acted honorably. Um, like Holly was saying earlier, the Babylonians, of course, hated the Jews. And so it said Babylonian uh, rabbis tend to view the character of Vashti through a negative lens. They characterize her as an adulterous woman who mistreated her Jewish servants and regularly flaunted her naked form to groups of admirers. These rabbis assert that the only reason Vashti refused the king's command to appear was because she was afflicted with a severe skin rash, a judgment from God. And another source said um, that was thought that she had leprosy or had grown a tail. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Makes me think of Shallow Hal. Remember that oh, yeah. dude? Yeah, the- yeah. <laughs> but it also yeah, said <laughs> she refused to appear before the king because the king was the stable boy of Vashti's father, King Nebuchadnezzar, which then went back again to and say that she was more royalty than he was. Huh. But she had been betrothed to him. Well, that's interesting. Has anybody ever in this group ever watched Game of Thrones? Mm. Yes. Do you remember the eunuch? You remember mm-hmm. you remember how the eunuch was like? Oh, yeah, yeah, he was like he was bald. super smart. Super smart. He really like he could move yeah. things around to mm-hmm. make things happen. Very what political. Was his name? I can't remember. I can't remember. He was it a bald matter. dude. Yeah. Big bald fat baldest guy. And then there was also uh Khaleesi. Do you remember when Khaleesi, the blonde mm-hmm. that Dragon Lady? 
Yeah, the dragon lady. But before she was a dragon lady, she was, um, I forget what she was the descendant of, basically of the dragons, right? Yeah, the 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 old rulers of whatever continent. Right, so she was like early royalty. And so then you remember Cal Drogo comes in and he's from like the horse people, you know, and mm-hmm. takes her as a wife. And she's, because her family has been destroyed. And you remember how she was seen as more of a royal person in comparison to like Cal Drogo was, right? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the way I'm seeing this with Queen Vashti, that she comes from the Babylonian Babylonian royalty. They had ruled, Babylon had ruled for a long time, what, 70 years, I think? And they were, you know, well, longer than that, actually, the empire. Yeah, but she respected Drogo and she, she, she took but over. But not at first. Not at first. No, but she she came to, where, whereas Vashti didn't. No, Vashti didn't. And, you know, but then again, uh, Memokan, the eunuch, is the one that is telling the king what to do to her. So I'm thinking about that fat eunuch dude and how like diabolical he was, and thinking that Memokan might have been that. It's hard to say, but there's a lot of political intrigue that's going on. Yeah, Littlefinger was pretty. Littlefinger involved, power struggle. You know, uh, who's going to lead whom? All governments. Yeah, it's always there's always something like kind of weird going on. You could actually have a show today about all this, and it would be pretty interesting. You know. Absolutely. Is there anything else that you have? Well, it just said that um, at this party that there were, you know, they had said that there were plenty of people there, women, men, um, and that one of the reasons why she had refused is because the women that were there were just there to please the men, and she wasn't going to be present, you know, to be brought into something like that. Um, Said that, of course, that the one thing that she did walk away with, regardless of— uh, losing, I guess, all royalty rights to being uh, next to the king was her dignity. Okay. And in some ways they said that uh, that, of course, was, you know, kind of like women's rights activists. Yeah, kinda. like she was the first woman yeah. feminist back in the day, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then, of course— Eat then, that, Gloria Steinem. Yeah, then— no. um, Inevitably, the the one was, of course, that God just had divinely orchestrated it to be exactly how he wanted it to be. She was the one that was there because she would be the one to refuse, and then that way he could bring in Esther. And then she, of course, could be the one to use the king in the same way. Basically, he was she um, Esther called him to a party, yeah. and then she waited until he had drank to ask him or to reveal to him that she was a Jew and that— uh, you know, she was requesting that her people not be destroyed. So basically, God had orchestrated it, and she really didn't have a choice in the matter. She was going to do her nature. Right. And then she would, and because of that, then he could install Esther. Right. Uh, are we going to do a Cliff's Notes on this story real quick? Because we're all the way to her, uh, we're all the way to her, you know, revealing that she's a Jew without having told the story. Uh, I mean, it's not unsafe to assume people have read it, but maybe we should hit a Cliff's Notes here. Well, I mean, we could do a Cliff's Notes. And um, <clears throat> I spoke with Tiziana, and Tiziana is going to come back and give us our fast version of Esther. Okay. And so this is just a kickoff um, of what this, you know, of the Esther. So we're going to really get into this, you know, okay. a lot deeper than this uh, and get into the verses of scripture and, and, and break it out. Well, this is like a four part series. So, yeah, I mean, if you want, as far as Esther is concerned, her she name— She was a badass. <laughs> <laughs> she was not—her name actually wasn't 
Esther, it was Hadassah, and which was her Hebrew name, which means uh, it translates to myrtle, which is like a beautiful myrtle tree. And then she takes the name Esther, which is a Persian name, and they don't really know necessarily. It could be a, a, a derivative of the god Ishtar, which is where we get our Easter. Easter. Yeah, yeah, that's where we get our Easter from. And it can also be mean star, uh, which is um, from the Persian word. They believe that it could be star. And so... But basically, in the Hebrew meaning of Esther is hidden. And that's what's unique, because whenever Queen Vashti is being replaced, there's a harem, and they they go out and they look for 400 women. And if you remember what Holly said, there was, what, 50 million people in the empire? And so let's say 50% of them were women. So out of 25 million women, they were brought down to 400, and then Esther was the one that he chose. So it's pretty remarkable. But Mordecai, whenever she is actually chosen, he tells her, hide your identity, because the Jews are a hated group in Persia and since the exile. And Cyrus had allowed them. And Mordecai leave. Mordecai is Esther's cousin. Yes. I don't know if I don't know if that's been said or not. Yeah, he had okay. said that either cousin adoptive, or adoptive daughter. Or uncle daddy or whatever he said it was. It was yeah, something. Yeah, it was, it was South Mid East now. So it would, be, would be kind of interesting then to think about it. Esther, of course, was hidden. She was adopted, and to she was an orphan. She yeah, was, that's and right. then to the one account of Vashti, she mistakenly sat on Darius's lap, who then took pity on her and betrothed her to his son. Yeah. So they there. If you read about the two of them, there are a lot of uh, similarities also. Yeah. In the two women, um, right. The only thing that stands out is you know the fact that Esther is submissive more so than Vashti was. Sure. And if you uh, did, did any of your research show that that's not the end of Queen Vashti actually? Um, not so far that I've read. One one thing said that you didn't hear any more about her. Now, they, it did say you could check into the Jewish Women Archives and read more about her, but I didn't do that yet. Um, but it also said you didn't hear any more about the eunuchs, I guess the specific eunuchs that were asked to bring Vashti to mm -hmm. the king. It doesn't – it said you didn't hear any more about them either. Well, they had um, – Vashti and Xerxes had a son – Artaxerxes, and he's in the scripture. And Queen Vashti is uh, brought back to the throne through the son after Xerxes I is, is dead. So actually Xerxes and I believe Esther had already passed and Vashti gets back to the throne, which is interesting, but so it's through her son. So she's like the queen mother kind of an idea, you know. <laughs> I don't know a whole lot about that yet, but we are going to get into it. So but yeah, I mean, that's what this the, this holiday is wrapped around all of this information about a young Hebrew orphan girl who is in the right place at the right time. And it it's truly about the providence of God, or it's about extremely lucky circumstances, yeah. however you want to look at it. I guess, hence the Go reason it's God. in the Bible, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. I mean. And that's that's one of the strange parts, is that, again, in our English Bible, when we read it, we never— you know, had you ever noticed that God wasn't in it? Like I never did. And then I started studying. They're like, one of the rare books where God's not mentioned. I was like, oh man, it sounded like God had done everything for them, you exactly. know? Exactly. And you don't realize it that he's hidden in it as well. You know? And so that that one mean man cast a lot. And whew, 
here's one thought. If it had went through and the Jews had been eradicated out of the empire, do you know what that means for us? You have any idea? The lineage of Christ would have been killed. We would not be here. Oh, okay, yeah. Salvation never would have happened. So the salvation of the Jews through what happened, you know, and those the circumstances of how, you know, so Mordecai, there's a there's a time in the story where Mordecai actually saves the life of King Xerxes. He hears two eunuchs, of course, Littlefinger and the other fat dude, right. sitting around talking about how they can kill him. And Mordecai overhears it. And so he tells the the other eunuch to tell Esther, like, this is what's up with the king. And so they do an investigation. They find it out. They kill the eunuchs. And, you know, he saved the king's life. But well, that was another reason why Haman was mad, because the king went to Haman and said, hey, uh, you know, my life was saved. What should we do? And he said, prayed him around in the purple robes, which is what Haman thought was going to happen to him. And it was Mordecai that they put up on the horse and sent him around. That's right. And one of those crazy places in the Bible where Yahweh's acrostic shows up is at night, that night before he tells Haman to do that, the king can't sleep. He's got insomnia. And so in order to get some sleep, instead of counting sheep, he tells one of the guys, hey, go get the chronicles of the people and read it to me. It's be like reading the phone book, you know, (laughs) you know, Welch, Wells. You know, and, and so baguette, as he's baguette, baguette, yeah, baguette, so as baguette. he's laying there, he tells the story of how, about how Mordecai had given this information to save the king's life, and he's like, "Well, what did we do for Mordecai?" And they're like, "Nothing." So the next morning, he gets up, you know, and there's Haman. He's like, "What would you do to honor somebody that saved the king?" And so Haman, who's getting ready to kill this dude, Mordecai, says. Oh man, get him! Put him on your your best horse. Put him on the king's horse and put a robe on him and a ring on his finger and make you know. And it's like, and he's like, yeah, I think we'll do that. You, Haman, go get Mordecai <laughs> and do that very thing. You know, it's so funny. God, I wish you guys could have heard TZ on and do the fast version of this. Oh, yeah, she she got she called him old boy. <laughs> she oh. called Mordecai old boy. Old boy Mordecai. <laughs> anyway. Well, I think that's where we'll stop for this episode. So, how do they say it? Happy Purim! Oy vey. Oy. <laughs> no, that's, that's more like 1990s punk rock. I Oy. wish I could do a, like, a, like a Jewish impersonation. I can't. 70s? He says this with the, uh, with the cheeks and the tukish. Tukish, you got close there with the tukish. Huh? It's a little bit more Yiddish, but hey. Oh, yeah, yeah. For sure. I always think of the, the Dewey Cox story. Do you remember they have the, the Jews that come and actually make him famous? That's what they do. They pay for him to go. Have you ever seen that movie? I've never uh-uh. seen that movie. No. Wow. Nope. Don't anybody on this watch it, please. It's awful. It's terrible. Anyway, well, so we'll be kicking that off. We're also going to be finishing up our Olivet Discourse. We have, I've, I've lessened it down to two more parts and then I'm done. You guys are going to have to do your own research, but those two parts will be six hour parts. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's a marathon. Now that I believe. <laughs> you won't no, be here all night, folks. Kind of like we did with the resurrection, you know, we it's a sleepover. We, <laughs> we put a lot into it, but. It's really up to you as a person to do the study yourself. We are Bring the eunuchs. <laughs> <laughs> we are the boroughs of Berea, which means we're those jackasses that are telling you to go study. 
That's basically what it means, all right? We want you to be able to go do a study on your own and do some research on these things. Rick says, Jesus has already came back. Go study. <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying that his coming, the parousia, happened. But as far as the other stuff, the millennial reign, I don't know. He I mean, has come. Yeah, we'll see. So, anyway, well, thanks, Billy. Thanks for being here. You're welcome. Thank you. You're welcome. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> Ralph. This puberty thing yeah, is catchy. Andy. Represent. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, Cherry. <laughs> See ya. And Holly. All right. Talk to you guys next time on the Burroughs of Berea. Uh, yeah, we're rolling. Yeah. Rolling and uh, everybody's headphones are good and everything. Yeah. Okay. I, so. I like it. Yeah. Can you, uh, Holly, just swing that in just a little bit more? Although you are you got the rocker, so maybe you're kind of leaning up for it. That's perfect. I love it. That's beautiful. <laughs> you don't need to touch it. That gets weird, but it's just like, <laughs> a little bit of space is nice. <laughs> yeah, just outside of tongue reach, <laughs> I'd say. Yeah. Unless you're like one of those weirdos. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> I went to Ingalls and bought some chicken salad in a little cup, and it was twelve dollars. What? Yes. You're about in the, deli the little cup. What? Twelve. And somebody charged you too much. Yeah. I got it on sale. Sucker. For ten dollars and sixty-six cents. Is that a golden chicken? It's like five. Yeah, yeah. For like the, five the bucks. Big, I know. Big. I buy it every day. It's went up, bruh. <laughs> I guess. How is gas affecting the chicken salad? Thanks a lot, Russia. That's a big bag of gummy bears. That's where they're going to get the consumer. Wow.